Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? We just watched The Born Identity, a 2002 film starring Matt Damon, directed by Doug Lyman, and based on a book by Robert Ludlum. And this was the first time either one of us had seen this picture, even though it is a well-known film. It is a very well-known film. I remember people talking about this when I was in elementary school, and I was like, hmm. The hot topic on the playground? Yeah, hot topic. Well, this is when I was, I think, in second grade. And I was like, hmm, whatever. <laughs> I was just a little bit older than second grade at the time. I was Somehow like, I want just... to, I'll take my Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island instead, <laughs> please. I'm a sophisticate. I don't need this live action crap. <laughs> it's just a phase. It's not going to last. <laughs> yeah, I did not, uh, did not. Have... I remember just being very disinterested hearing people talking about this. So even when the franchise continued over the years and your your 
favorite actor, Jeremy Renner, became a part of it. Oh, you still did not choose to partake. Yeah, I'd somehow managed to uh, avoid it, stave it off for all these years. It became a really, yeah, it became a big franchise. Flew under our radar. Yeah, flew under. But now we've been reborn. <laughs> what was the central mystery? Well, it's sort of an interesting twist on the sort of espionage thriller because in this case, not only does a spy have to figure out who's trying to kill him and why and how he can escape, but this spy, Mr. Jason Bourne, as played by Matt Damon, has to figure out who the hell is he because he doesn't remember a goddamn thing. I'm sure this would have, if it came out today, probably would have sparked a lot of think pieces about, like, that's not how amnesia works. (laughs) So what do you think it would be like if suddenly... Anya woke up with no memory of her previous life and was trying to piece together her life as a as a reporter oh uh, living with me. Would she be stunned and terrified of what she'd become, or what would that be like? Probably. I, I think it would be a lot of, yeah, it would be, see, uh, the thing about uh, Jason Bourne is he has all these innate skills. He doesn't know who he is, but he can fight, he can jump, he can run. I would be, like, going out and buying, like, hot chocolate and then coming home and eating a bagel. It would all be all about like what, where I was going to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And then what was irritating me, what I'd complain about like, Oh, that light, you know, like we need to dim that a little bit or like, (laughs) that dog's dog's really annoying me. (laughs) It would be Lanny. Yeah. I think that would be a fun movie. (laughs) You're like really boring. (laughs) And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like, I feel like I feel like my I feel like my bosses are like super nice and they just be like, Oh, you're you're on you, you're a retail reporter. I'd be like, Okay, and then I just <laughs> go back to writing whatever I was writing. The credits would roll. Yeah. <laughs> no nobody at my workplace would be sending anyone to take me out because I know too much. They'd just be like, Oh, just look at this helpful PowerPoint about how to work the Viking uh, our CMS system. And I'd be like, Okay. <laughs> I get back right back into it. No one would know the difference. <laughs> Maybe I get a little bit behind on work of that day. That was not quite the experience that Mr. Bourne had. How did this picture begin? So we start out in the in we start out in the middle of the rainy Mediterranean Sea during a storm, and a sailor sees a body floating in the water, and they you know it's just Matt Damon out there trying to catch some Mediterranean waves, and uh, the fishermen go all Matthew four nineteen. And pull him out, and <laughs> little little uh, New Testament humor for you guys there. <laughs> Fishers of men. Fishers of men. <laughs> They're in the business now. <laughs> they fish Matt Damon out, and uh, they uh, just they they take care of him. He's their son now. They give him a little sweater. They give him you know little medical attentions, and he's their big boy. And he starts helping out. Yeah, he becomes a fisherman, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> this season on Deadliest Catch. <laughs> no, they, they... But as they tend to him, they find mm. out that he's been shot in the back a couple of times, and they also discover that he has some sort of cylinder in his hip, which seems to have some information about a bank account or a safety deposit box at a bank in Zurich. 
I hated when Chase made us do that too. I, I thought that was really intrusive. Well, but it seemed a realistic thing that might happen to us. Yeah, we'd get we'd be in a position <laughs> not, where not that we'd be shot and lose our memory, just that we'd forget. We'd be so stupid that we wouldn't remember what bank we bank with. <laughs> He's not this this isn't the smartest CIA operative in the oh well the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> just gave away the ending of the picture. Oops. So yeah, and, and Matt Damon uh, clearly has some has some moves early on because he attacks the the skipper who's taking care of him and kind of is. Alan Hale Jr. was in this picture. What? Forget it. I'm not eighty. <laughs> the, the skipper on Gilligan's Island oh. was played by Alan Hale Jr. So you said he attacks the skipper. I was making a humorous this reference on a very special episode of Gilligan's Island. See, wouldn't that have been humorous <laughs> if there's a fight scene between the skipper and Jason Bourne? And then the Harlem Globetrotters show up. <laughs> and actually, wasn't there a character later on in the movie called the Professor? There was. See, man, it all ties in. Get Ginger in here. <laughs> it's gonna be a quite. There's a, a movie. redhead. There is a redhead. Oh, geez, this is this is a strange Gilgan's Island reboot. But I guess you know, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Worked for me. <laughs> So is Matt Damon Gilligan? Because <laughs> he doesn't know anything and he's just trying to figure it all out. Yeah, he's getting, he kind of messes things up. Yeah. The whole thing started because he messed up an assignment. Damn. Very Okay, so the, now you're, you're positing that this is actually just a backwards Gilligan's Island reboot. Yeah. Damn. And there's some rich people in the picture. Yeah. That's the house. Oh, my God. Jeez. I guess we'll find out what happens on the next segment. <laughs> Man, it's a uh, smart, sexy Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Something no one ever wanted. Well, I kind of wanted that as a kid. Oh, God. Ginger? Marianne? But we digress. After the fisherman's, you know, outing is done. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Let's go back to the CIA. <laughs> we've, been, we've been making a lot of jokes about these good fishermen. But let's go to the, the CIA, who are fishing... For answers, because their big mission just failed. I liked how the CIA office, like so many times in movies, they make the CIA, like I'm thinking of Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. They make the, they make like, you know, all these spy agencies have all these like glossy offices with like beautiful desks and like, like Swedish looking furniture. And like, this just looked like a fucking dump. That's what I imagine. I feel, I feel like this is probably more on the money than... Other movies. Other movies, it's like they have a desk and the desk is touchscreen and they're like zooming in you know, using touchscreen technology. No way. This is like shitty wood paneled rooms. Like, just doesn't, it doesn't look good. <laughs> Big bulky computers. Yeah, it looks like, they, they, it's like something out of a goodwill. Yeah. Hunting. <laughs> so it's very clear that Bourne has some innate skills that he remembers, but he's very frustrated because he doesn't know anything about himself. Yeah, there's an expository line of dialogue where he says, I don't remember who I am, but, you know, of course I can still read. I can still do this. I still have all of my skills. So that becomes important later. Yes. He can still do everything he was trained to do. He just doesn't know who the hell he is. And would be a very different movie if he, like, didn't know what, like, a car was, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, it's okay, Jason. (laughs) I'd watch that. They're not out to hurt you. (laughs) And then, um, so those fishermen give 
uh, their their new son some money to go to Switzerland where he is going to follow his dreams of learning who the fuck he is. And, and of course, he's going to Switzerland because that is where the safety deposit in the bank is. Yeah, Zurich. Got a, if you want a sketchy bank, go to Switzerland. So he's he's on his way. And uh, he ends up there, and he's unfortunately kind of homeless, so he's sleeping on a bench in the snow. And two policemen come up and are kind of being dicks, and they're like, get out of here, the park's closed. And then just sort of instinctively, he like disarms them and beats them up. Oops. Kind of like you. Yeah, I do. Well, I don't want to admit to anything on <laughs> thing that's going to be broadcast, but yes. <laughs> Very much like me. And, um, you know, it's good because, like, you know, I, I, it's like you don't want to like you don't want to see like an all power all all powerful protagonist, but at the same time he's very skilled. But like he's almost alarmed by it. Like you can tell he's like I don't want to. You know, he he's not like trying to kick everyone's ass and like have power over other people. He's just kind of like instinctively feeling threatened, doing something, and then kind of being like, oh geez, and like he will actually do things to de-escalate the situation. Like in this case, he grabs the guy's gun, could easily shoot them both. But he just sort of like runs and like dumps the gun. Like he doesn't want to get too crazy. He, he often seems surprised by what he can do and even be alarmed by it. Like what kind of a person would be able to do this? Yes. And I think that's one thing that makes the character likable because you're like, he's not, he's not like, ha now I have the power of cops. He's just more of like, oh, geez, whoops. But you also, at the same time, like him, you're wondering what kind of a person he used to be. And is it, is it like a regarding Henry-esque situation where a person of questionable morals gets shot and then becomes a nice fella? Or was he always a nice fella? Or is he going to suddenly become a bad fella again? Are these questions that haunt you at night, Kevin? Oh, I think about regarding Henry all the time. <laughs> it's a Harrison Ford film. Where he uh, had an injury and became a nice guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was it an injury that he had in a plane accident? <laughs> it's a documentary. <laughs> he was like, does he have one of those like every two years? You gotta have a hobby in this <laughs> life. Maybe a hobby that can't kill you or other people. <laughs> you can't talk because you wouldn't. Wouldn't your life be more interesting if you got into plane accidents? No. <laughs> it's like my worst nightmare. So an Af so this guy, uh, we go to back to the CIA. We're kind of intercutting between Bourne and the CIA quite a bit um, in this film to kind of keep keep abreast of what's going on um, at, at, the, at the agency. And um, we see that a, uh, a leader of an African nation is going on TV talking about how he has survived the, an assassination attempt, and he says it was by the CIA, and he's threatening to publish a book on um, the CIA's, you know, horrific misdeeds in Africa unless he, you know, unless they help him out or something. And so um, the CIA is having a meeting, and it's all its senior staffers, and the director is basically like, I I want you guys to tell me like this is not true. This guy's full of shit, right? And everybody's like, yeah, except for one guy who's kind of sitting there like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, he's like this gray haired dude. He goes downstairs and talks with uh, this I don't know CIA boss dude 
who's his underling, and he basically says, like, the the, the guy, the silver-haired guy talks to the Jason Bourne's boss, and Jason Bourne's boss is like, yeah, that was that was us. And we lost contact with our man. So it's a shit show. And the silver-haired guy is, like, basically, like, fix this. So, oops. Meanwhile, you're calling him uh, Jason Bourne. And at this point, we, the viewer, don't even have any idea who who Matt Damon is. He then goes into the bank. And they know him. They know him fine. And he gets uh, to uh, examine his safety deposit box, which contains ID for Jason Bourne. And it also contains a whole bunch of money, passports in a variety of names, including one for a Mr. Kane, Mm. which I thought was a little bit interesting, a little bit too much of a coincidence. I'm doing all my shifty eyes now. I'm not looking at Kevin in the eye. (laughs) I'm not a CIA plant. What are you talking about? Prove it. Well, like if you if you put me in any of the situations that Jason Bourne has to deal with, I would immediately die. <laughs> that would prove it. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have even found the train to Switzerland. I'd be still wandering around Italy or wherever. <laughs> yeah, I remember at this point in the movie, you leaned over and said, "What would you do in this situation?" So, what would you do? What would you do? I'd go to the American consulate. I would immediately go to the American consulate and probably immediately get killed because the Americans are after him, kind of. Yeah. Trusting in the USA, just a big mistake. <laughs> Help me, fellow patriots. <laughs> and that's the end of the Kane identity. <laughs> or the Greenlee identity. The Greenlee identity just sounds terrible. The Kane identity sounds awesome. Sounds like the sequel to the Kane mutiny. Yeah, which was a great book. Mm-hmm. And a great film. So you're pitching to me the Kane identity where you get confused. You just go out and you get bagels. You come back. You talk to your boss. He straightens things out for you. For some reason, you still go to the embassy and get killed. Is that the movie? Yeah, because maybe I'd want to know a little bit more. <laughs> I can't leave well enough alone. So what, what would happen in the Greenlee identity? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um... <laughs> You would you would go to a bunch of comic book stores and thrift shops to get old comic books. And then people would be like, Kevin, what's up, man? What's good? And you'd be like, huh? And then, yeah, I mean, that would probably be pretty much it. So why is my and then first... You'd be, and then you'd be like looking up, you'd be looking up newspaper.com stuff about yourself. And then you'd find the letter to the editor you wrote about Doonesbury and you would die of embarrassment. <laughs> and that's the end of the picture. And that's the end of the picture. <laughs> so why is my first move, I, I'm, an amne- I'm an amnesiac. Instead of going to the American embassy, I, I go to a comic book store? Yeah. Because <laughs> you'd find a bunch of comics in your bag. You'd be, like, I have to, you'd be like, what kind of person would have these? <laughs> Sad sack editions. <laughs> Who would have this? <laughs> I must know. You'd meet me and I'd be a stranger. Like, you don't know me at this point. And I'd be like, I don't know what kind of person you are. Like, because you'd <laughs> be a big reveal about how you collect all these different comic books. <laughs> By the time you find out my secret, you're already too far in. Uh-huh. You can't get out. Can't get out. You're stuck with a sad sack collector. <laughs> Even though you might have to end up paying a terrible price. It happened to me. <laughs> 
So we have two really lame ripoffs of this movie, but but let's get back to the to the real film. <laughs> Eventually, so actually, what's interesting is that um, Matt Damon takes all the stuff except for the guns. He's really pretty gun shy early on. He's not a. He's not. It, maybe that tells us something about the character uh, in his at least his in his amnesia, amnesiac state. <laughs> he's not an inherently violent person. He doesn't relish violence. In fact, he's not even taking a gun thinking, well, maybe I can at least protect myself. He's maybe He knows for a fact that he's been shot, but he's really not looking to shoot other people. And that changes throughout the picture. But I, I, I like Damon's performance. And also at the beginning of the movie uh, and through the early parts of the movie, he looks very boyish, at least to me. He looked very young. He looked very non-threatening. Yes, but as the movie progressed and got to the end of the movie, he seemed to get a harder-edged look to him and begin to look a little bit intimidating. Yes, yeah, some of his like old identity was seeping back in. Yeah. I really like that. Like you kind of feel like, and this and the and the film kind of builds upon this, but you feel like at his core, this is not a horrible person, and that makes it, you know, you want to root for him, and you feel like he's genuinely, really, just deeply. I thought I thought Damon did a great job with the performance. And I noticed that too. Like at the beginning, I'm like, he's a little baby. I think he should go back to the fishermen. They can raise him, teach him the ways of the sea. But then later on, he's like a badass. And you're like, uh-oh. You know, the fishermen are standing on their boat watching with binoculars being like, a little baby grown up. <laughs> you think they're proud? They're No. <laughs> they're like, oh, geez, we're glad we didn't all die horribly. Also, I'll say this, and we'll get more into this later, but like, in so many thriller or action movies, like random people who help out the main character get horribly killed, and I, I feel like this this movie had a respect for life that I didn't expect. Do you know what I mean? How so? Like the fishermen, you know, they would have died in most other movies. Um, the love interest, that's a character that would have died in most other movies. The, the, there's there's a there's a bunch of people in this who like you kind of like they. They would have gotten killed in order to show that, oh, now it's serious. Matt Damon's got to, you know, really figure this stuff out. But, like, in this, it's like it, it took their lives seriously as well. Interesting. I didn't notice that. I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like movies are kind of kind of kill people off for shock value. and I, I don't really like that. So I liked in this one, the body count was relatively low in my estimation. A lot of people died in this picture. Not really. Even people like the cops chasing him you like it's like the equivalent of seeing like the plane blow up and then the little parachute going down like i'm okay there's a lot of moments like that where it's like oh i fell off my bike but i'm all right but there were also uh moments like at one point we see that his landlady was shot in the head oh yeah that's true but but there were but there were enough moments about the little parachute moments that i was like Impressed with that. Okay, that's interesting. If we watch the other films, I wonder if that will continue. Because I know a new director does the uh, next two. Scoochie, yeah. There you go. So uh, the bank employees tell him he was there three weeks ago. And then he goes to the American consulate. Which is what you said he should have done in the first place. Yeah. How does this go for him? He, he listens to our advice. And of course it goes horribly wrong. Uh, the people at the American consulate immediately try to arrest him. He overpowers everybody sort of just on instinct and runs. 
even this, I really like this touch. As he's running away, he throws the gun that he took from one of the guards in the garbage can, which is kind of fun. And then he uh, gets out a fire escape and is hanging there and, and sort of uses his, uh, his uh, climbing abilities to sort of get himself down to ground level. And I, I really like, I just, I like seeing this guy at such a disadvantage because obviously he's sort of like a super soldier, right? And, and that's very obvious immediately. But because he doesn't know who he is, he's really trying to figure stuff out. But he's also trying to, like, unlock these skills as he goes. And you would be, you know, if you were in his position, you'd probably be worried, like, like oh, oh I really hope I'm good at climbing. Or, like, I really hope I'm fast. <laughs> 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 like, you get to a point where you just can't do it. <laughs> Guess I suck at jumping off roofs. Oops. <laughs> but when he gets out of the consulate, his next step is he needs to get some sort of transportation. And he he says he wants to go to Paris because uh, it's a great city, city, city of, of lights, city of love. It's a city for lovers. He wants to meet someone. He wants to meet himself. <laughs> the real love story. <laughs> oh man! Because self care uh, on his uh, passport in the name of Jason Bourne, it has an address in Paris. But how the devil can this young fella make it to Paris? Well, fortunately, there was a feisty redhead in the in the consulate who is arguing about a visa, and he meets her, and he uh, offers her lots. He stumbles. Of money. He stumbles across her on the street. Yeah, and he offers her a shit ton of money to just to drive him to Paris, and she's like, "Hmm, that sounds like a bad idea. Why would you Why would you be offering me this money?" But he's like, "Please, I have," and he's like doubling his offer. So she's like, "Fine," because she's broke. I liked this because like. She's just some random, she's some random schmuck, but she, she needs the money. This is the kind of person who would get involved in something like this. This is how we met. This is how we met. You came up to me and said, please, I will pay you $10,000 to drive me to (laughs) Westchester County, New York. And I said, come on in. Only if with us, it was like, what, a dollar? Yeah. And it was on my scooter. And the rest was history. It took a while to get there. And, um, you know, and I just, I, I was thinking this in this whole scene, I was like, because I kept waiting for this to happen. In a lesser movie, he would threaten her and kidnap her or take her hostage and force her to go along with him. And then she'd still end up falling in love with him. But this movie had enough respect for her as a character that it was like, put her in a position where she would take an offer like this and take the risk and make it her choice. And I, I liked that a lot. You really liked this character of uh, Jason Bourne. I did, yeah. I thought he was. I thought it was good because we kept on running into areas. I'm like, well, it's about to get real fucked up, and then we didn't. And I was like, oh, nice, wow, a well written movie with a good character. Jesus, what a shock! I know this movie gets talked about so much, and it's sort of like one of those early 2000s movies where like everyone saw it, everyone liked it. You almost think, oh, it's gonna suck somehow. Like you know, like you think, oh, this is gonna be really. But it's really good. I really like this movie. Well, what did you think going? Were you like, oh, this is going to suck? Or were you like, I guess I just was expecting it to be overrated in some way. I was expecting it to be overrated or perhaps dated since it is uh, older. Uh, I did. uh, I saw the most recent movie in the series starring Matt Damon, which uh, came out in either 2016 or 2017. And I remember enjoying that. So. For what it's worth, I knew the movies could be good. I remember enjoying it, but thinking it was like a really good episode of 24. So, you know, like... 
You love your 24. Which I love 24, but it was like nothing special. Jack Bauer is your friend. He's your friend too. He's my friend and yours. Yes. So the CIA continues to try to track uh, the missing agent down, Mr. Jason Bourne. So they activate, quote unquote, all the agents in the area to go and kill him. They're not trying to bring him in. They're not worried about his well-being. They're they're trying to dispose of him now that this eight, you know, now that he's sort of gone rogue. And also, I don't think this is how CIA agents really work. <laughs> but whatever. How do you think real CIA they agents a, would have handled this? They had a real they had a realistic office, not a realistic protocol. Um, it's not that I don't think the CIA does shitty things. It's more of like, you know, like we're gonna activate everyone. You know, it's like I think you usually it's a little more targeted and I mean, isn't it usually that CIA people who work for the CIA go into other countries and basically convince people to do things for them? And that's how it works. And the people who are in it are like the real spies. You know, that their their handlers are like the CIA officers. That's my understanding. Okay. I I never worked for the CIA. I do not currently work for the CIA. I just, that is what. Wow, what are you doing with your fingers? You're crossing your fingers. <laughs> now you're like drawing your <laughs> finger across That's your terrible. neck. And That's terrible because this, that, isn't that something that always gets like, like journalists and, you know, American journalists go to other countries and then people say they're CIA and detain them. So we shouldn't even be joking <laughs> about this. Not that I'm, I'm a retail reporter, so I don't, I'm not going to go. Like, what am I going to go to Canada and cover, like, <laughs> Loblaws and then get get arrested? Well, if we wanted to joke about it, couldn't we say you were with the KGB and you're assigned here to monitor and crush the American retail system? Oh, well, the KGB doesn't um, exist anymore. It's the FSB, babe. Oh, isn't it interesting that you knew that? <laughs> you said it with such pride. <laughs> We've made a few changes. <laughs> Now I understand all those monograms on your sweaters. <laughs> You're not very discreet. I told you it stood for friendly, saucy babe, but <laughs> free spirit. Broad? <laughs> free spirited broad. Feisty, sexy bitch. Oh my God, Kevin. You're so degrading of women. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking stupid bumbler. <laughs> You're so hard on yourself. <laughs> no, I mean... You're the one that has a monogram sweater. That's the sweater I gave to you for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, Marie, who is the uh, red-headed lady, um, uh, red-headed German lady, uh, starts taking Born to Paris. And um, he just kind of tells her the truth. You know, he likes her. She's helping him. And he's like, he, he, this is really, as Kevin said, like his kind of Boy Scout phase where he's just really open. Like he's a young man in need of like help. And he's, she seems like a nice person. And he's kind of just like, I have amnesia. I don't know what's going on. And she doesn't really seem to believe him at first, which is fair. You know, I, I his open, open face and open mannerisms aside, I think you'd probably be like, okay, this guy's crazy. If you were, uh, you know, yeah. in that situation. But, um, you know, they kind of have a nice time, though. Kind of thaw, thaw the situation. And they get to Paris. They get to his apartment. 
and they're let in by the landlady. And she doesn't want to go. She she wants to hook up with Jason Bourne, I think. Well, that's pretty clear. Yeah. So she's like, can I use your place to, you know, shower and stuff? And she's like, he's like, sure. So they're going to. Something's going to happen. Yeah. She's like, hmm. Want some of that Jason Damon business. Or not Jason Damon. <laughs> um, see, I'm forgetting the identity of the people involved. Matt Damon business. And, um, I mean, what's really striking about the scene is not the uh, sexual chemistry, but is the fucking giant apartment. Jesus. It was a pretty big apartment. It's a pretty damn big apartment. Lots of beautiful appliances. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Jason Bourne is trying to figure out, like, hmm. What the fuck's happening? So he calls back the last number that his phone rang, and he gets some random hotels, and he's kind of trying to piece it together. Yes, the the person answered the phone at the hotel. Did a fellow named Jason Bourne uh, stay there? We don't recognize that name, sir. What about Mr. Kane? He trashed the place. Do you know where he is? Mr. Kane died two weeks ago. <gasps> You're Ken. I know. That's actually how my family used to spell it, K-A-N-E. Back in the day, they changed it because of this movie. There's something not right about this apartment, though, Kevin. So much like you did when we first got our apartment here, he suddenly picks up a knife and starts wandering around this big apartment in a vaguely menacing manner. Well, I do that every night, so that's not entirely fair. Yeah, this takes a little bit of getting used to, but I mean, it's just part of your uh, quirky charm. Free-spirited broad, remember. That's right. But obviously he senses something is wrong. Something might be amiss. And what occurs? Some blonde dude crashes through their beautiful frosted window with a machine gun. There's a fight scene. Big fight scene. Damon gets the better of the guy and is sort of interrogating him. And then rather than deal with it, the guy just throws himself out the window. (laughs) Oops. I, but I, I mean, and they're both just like shocked, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I just like the, I like the visceral fights, but I also like everybody acts in this action movie like a human being. Everybody's like nobody. Like, there's so many movies where people are just doing things for the plot and like going through the motions. But in this, it's like you, you feel like they're go, they're making relatable choices. And they're making smart choices. And I like that. So you're saying the the suicide was a smart choice? No, I'm not saying... I meant the protagonists. The antagonists okay. are kind of like more robotic, you know, coming to kill them and then malfunctioning or, you know. But the, the, the two main characters, I mean, uh, Marie and Jason, they're, you know... They're kind of like, fuck, like, what's going on? But they're, they're, Let's get out of here. Let's bounce. They're scared, but they're like, you know, they're they're firing on all cylinders, which is cool. And they have a bit of a fight because Marie's like, who the fuck are you? Why are people trying to kill you? And she doesn't know anything. And he doesn't know anything. But now they got to they gotta get away from the Parisian authorities and mow down some, or nearly mow down some Parisian uh, pedestrians. And uh, the people who come off worse of this are, are the motorcycle police in Paris who just get completely trounced. And they are con- they're falling off their bikes. They're going downstairs in bikes. It's just a bike massacre. It's a mess. So was it right before the card? You're talking about how these characters are relatable and make good choices. Was this the, the scene where uh, Jason Bourne 
tells her that she should probably just leave. Yes. It would be too dangerous to stay with him. Yes. And he's trying to do her a solid, basically. Yeah, he's. you can tell he's being a good guy. But at the same time, if I were her, I would assume that because she knows that they're watching her too because the guy who attacked them had her picture. So you can assume if you're her, okay, if I split up with you, maybe I'll get away. But also, maybe at this point, they'll just track me down and try to get information out of me. And I don't have your special fighty skills, so I'm probably going to stick with you at this point. That would be my thinking. Unless he could be like, I'm going to get you out of here by giving you this, this, and this. You know, you're kind of, it's, it, that's, that feels more like he's just ditching you. What do you think? If you were in this situation with Jason Bourne, would you bounce at that point or would you stick around? Stick around. I would stick around too. Because I'm like, I, I can't, I can't. But she's seen him in action. She's seen what he's capable of. And she likes what she sees. Well, uh, she wants some of that born bone. So then uh, the uh, the German lady and Matt Damon hook up. They have sex. They got. They get. They get down. <laughs> Did you like that scene? Did you think it was sexy? I thought it was weirdly kind of hot that he cut her hair. It was like kind of weirdly intimate. You know, like it. It felt like intimate without being like overly like over the top you know what i mean it just i don't know a lot about this movie felt kind of weirdly natural although she was lucky she didn't get a weird mohawk looking thing so you would prefer if they'd gone to a hair salon for that scene mm-hmm. yeah that would be <laughs> made sense and more realistic you would have cut my hair unevenly i think I don't, why would you say that you do you do some weird shit for the lols I, I would take immaculate care of your tresses. Aww. What happens after that scene? Um, next up, the after After you've had like a cold shower. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, this is a pretty much of a cold shower of a scene because that African uh, politician who we saw earlier in the movie talking about how the CIA was going to assassinate him, he gets assassinated. They get him. They snipe him. So the CIA cleaned up that uh, situation and uh, got that guy. So were you happy with that character? Do you feel you got enough information about him and why? No, not did, at all. Did you understand why the CIA was targeting him and whether or not that was a justifiable decision or if he was? Uh... That seemed to me to be the, 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 the this character, uh, this this guy seemed like kind of the weak link, the weak link in the film for me because he, we don't really get a lot of backstory. It sort of seems like he's just a guy who is embarrassing to the CIA because he's exposing them for all the bad shit they've done in Africa. And so, like, you know, that's not bad on its face, you know, if he's if he's telling the truth. So it, it's sort of, but it's he, he almost seems like he's more of a joke throughout a lot of it because he's, like, loud mouth and running around. So... You know, I don't feel like he was as fleshed out as he could have been. And then before you know it, he's dead. So I didn't really understand the character. So I would have preferred more information. Yeah, they probably could have done something different with this or gone in a different direction or had some other kind of situation that Matt Damon could have been working with. But uh, I, yeah, so I thought that was a bit of a waste. Um, Perhaps it was more fleshed out in the novel, which neither one of us has read. Of course. I believe there was a scene at a hotel that you really enjoyed. I did. There was a funny scene where Matt Damon has this whole complicated plan to get records on his alias Kane from a hotel. And he's doing all this plotting. 
And then Marie just goes in and asks for them. And he gets it. And I said, that's the two genders for you at work. If you want for something, just ask for it. But a beautiful woman uh, has an easier time getting things than a regular looking fella. I just think a regular look, I just, I, if people are going to help you, they're going to help you. And it, and it doesn't, if, if you, if you come at it cool and smooth, then you're, you're probably more likely to get help in a situation like this. Then you're like, can, can I have a, uh, Mr. Kane's records? You know, if you say, that's my brother, can I get some information? Then, then you're good. So basically what happens is that Bourne figures out that he is also Kane. And so he is a person with all these different aliases and uh, no one fixed identity, which is upsetting for him. Um, but to get more information, he bribes a morgue attendant to see the alleged body of Kane, who was said to have died a few days ago. He kind of throws a kind of Karen-esque fit in the, in the morgue after they're being kicked out by the, the morgue attendant's boss. And he tears out pages from the attendance book to see who last visited Kane's body. Meanwhile, the French police are trying to find them and they have found their car. So through spying on the French police, the CIA is also closing in. They know they're in Paris. They know the general area they're in. The noose is tightening. And was this when uh, Bourne started figuring some stuff out? Tell us about it. What is he? What is Bourne deduce? Uh, he realizes that uh, he was uh, an assassin, that he had been assigned to kill this African leader, that he went on this African leader's boat for the purpose of committing said assassination. And that something happened, which ended up with Bourne himself getting shot a couple of times and being tossed into the sea while the African leader was not shot at all. Bourne, in other words, failed in his mission. And also is a bad dude. And I think at this point, Marie and Bourne are both dealing with feelings that, like, you know, he's kind of a bad guy. He's a killer. He's an assassin. Like... What are they really doing? Should Marie really be hanging out with him? Is Bourne himself, you know, what? how is he going to deal with realizing this stuff about himself? I don't know, Kevin. Do you think in a situation like that, if somebody really truly does not remember any any of the things they've done that were evil on behalf of the CIA, like, are they, are they, can they be a good person? Are they a good person? What is? Are you talking about is a person what he or she currently is or is a person what they are capable of in their darkest moments i guess in this situation would you say is is uh is jason born at the start of this film a good person the start of the film he seems to be a, a a good person yeah but in this situation in this uh absurd pulpish situation if you were with a person like that wouldn't you start to wonder wouldn't you worry that the part of him that existed before he lost his memory might return and he might become that cold-blooded assassin once again yeah return with a vengeance but you know you, you know it's like but should you get a blank slate just because you lose your memory that doesn't seem fair no it doesn't but he does and he 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 seems to have a softness to him and and some of his memories also kind of speak to that where he's not so cold-blooded he's capable of being really cold-blooded but there's lines he doesn't want to cross and we will continue to see some of the lines as this story unravels. So, meanwhile, CIA is just trying to cover up their big mess. 
And uh, we've learned the name of this operation. It's Operation Treadstone. And it's gone to hell, and now they're trying to basically delete Bourne from the from the universe in order to kind of clean things up. If you were going to name an operation involving assassins and assassinations, I bet you'd come up with a cooler name than Treadstone. Hmm. Yeah, Treadstone's kind of lame. That sounds like a a camp or something. Like, met all my friends this summer at Camp Treadstone. Like, mm, nah. Makes me think of treading water or a stone sinking. So meanwhile, Marie takes them to this rural spot where her friend Eamon, nice Irish guy, he's actually he has a British accent, but it's an Irish name. They, he, she thinks that he must be away, but he shows up with his two small children and is like, why are you breaking into my house? Oops. Not only does he have two small children, there's someone else in the picture. A dog. Oh. You remember the dog? The dog dies, guys. Yeah. Dog dies. The dog dies. Kevin was upset by this. I was like desperately looking up. Does the dog die in born identity on the on my phone at this point? <laughs> so you knew. You sensed it. Well, not at this point, but what later on when stuff happens, I was like, uh-oh. Jason Bourne at this point, he doesn't really really want to know who he is anymore. He kind of wants to just cut off this big quest he's been on with Marie and sort of be like, you know, this this guy who I used to be was a was a pretty bad fella. I think I'm going to just uh, try to cut my losses here. She doesn't seem too interested in that. What do you make of that? Uh, I think she knows it's a, a wish fulfillment and that uh, it can't really happen. He has some loose ends to tie up. Yeah, I think, you know, you'd be wondering forever who you were and what you'd done, you know, even if that truth would be hard to understand. And he doesn't really know quite what he's up against at this point. He has a feeling and he has a sense, but he doesn't have all the information he needs to survive in the long term. And the people who are hunting him down probably will still keep on looking for him even uh, if he decides to quit. Right. He doesn't really get a choice at this point. He can't just say, oh, I'm going to move on and recreate myself, recreate my brand here. What happened? Well, the dog goes missing, and we can assume that the dog was killed. And uh, Jason Bourne, I, I just like how I like how immediately the dog goes missing, and he's like, "Everybody get in the fucking basement." He's not fucking around. He doesn't. He doesn't say, "Oh, well, let's just look for Skippy the dog." He's like, "The dog is dead. Go in the basement. There's an assassin here. He knows immediately what they need to do." And re expresses some concern about what if something bad happens to the kids, and he says that won't happen. He's very confident. He's very determined. He grabs a shotgun and goes assassin hunting. He, cre- he creates a distraction by blowing some stuff up. I don't even know what that yeah, was. What, what did he blow up? I have no idea. Did they have a crop of like C4? I, it, it, something really big blew up in the distance. And uh, and then he's kind of going around trying to smoke out the assassin who's come for him. And it works. He gets him, yeah. He... Uh, Jumps the guy is this bespectacled assassin, I think, called the Professor. And uh, starts questioning him. And the guy reveals some troubling information. What was that, Kevin? Uh, he mentions that uh, he and Bourne work for the same people. The Treadstone people. And that they both work alone. He says he gets headaches just like Bourne gets headaches. I get headaches, too. I wonder if I'm in Treadstone. Or the KGB. Ooh. It's the FSB, Kevin. 
You got headaches. Maybe you work for... We're all in Treadstone, folks. <laughs> and for that, there's Tylenol. <laughs> but then anyways, before da- uh, Matt Damon can get too much information out of the professor, <laughs> like a goodwill hunting gone wrong, the professor dies. Now uh, Jason Bourne is left to say goodbye to Marie, uh, who flees with Eamon. You know, at this point, it feels like more responsible for her to go, because we can tell, like... At this point, things have kicked up a notch. Moving into an endgame situation. We're moving into an endgame situation. She's smart to kind of get out of Dodge at this point. But she doesn't want to go. She's really She really likes this guy. And I really do feel like I like the connection between these two characters. It didn't feel over the top. There's no like, but I love you. It's just like they have a they have a bond. They have there's an emotional resonance there. It's not they're not overselling it though. I thought it was a good fictional action movie romantic connection. Yeah, I thought it it worked well. And then after she left, he uses... Did he get the radio from the uh, assassin he killed? I think so, yeah. So he has a radio and he contacts the people running uh, Treadstone and wants to arrange a meeting with one of the high muckety-mucks of Treadstone. Tells him to come and meet him on a bridge alone. How does that go? Well, the muckety muck, uh, who's been one of the main CIA guys we've been following, shows up, and he, of course he's not alone. So Bourne ditches it, um, and the CIA responds to that by sort of starting to shut down their little Parisian hidey hole because they know Bourne's on the loose and he's coming. He's coming for them, cowards! Hmm. CIA cowards! He's running, but no, he's actually climbing up a wall now. And then there's a confrontation. Uh, the CIA yells at Bourne, and Bourne starts getting flashbacks of his final assignment, which, of course, was to kill that uh, African leader. And we see that when Bourne went to kill him on the boat, the leader's uh, young child was present. And so Bourne could not uh, bring himself to kill this uh leader in the presence of his child and he turns to leave and that's when he was shot and thrown off the boat it's way less corny than it sounds i mean it's still corny but like he basically goes up to this guy and from the angle he was at he just saw the sleeping guy but then when he gets up close he realizes that the guy's young daughter is like clinging to his chest like climbing on her dad while he's asleep and he kind of freezes so it it's not like oh i don't want billy to see this it's like he's startled by this kid basically who he, who he didn't see from the angle he was at so i i thought that was and that sort of indicates that you know Bourne clearly has kind of been brainwashed by the cia everyone in treadstone clearly has that's what they're implicating with the like headaches and stuff but like he does have like a a, a moral compass inside even before he lost his memory even when he was a assassin you know, an effective assassin here would have shot the guy with his little girl sitting right there, and he wasn't going to do that. He just, he couldn't bring himself to do that. Even if it wouldn't have directly hurt the little girl, it would have obviously been a really fucked up thing to do. And it's interesting because the African leader earlier in the film had said something like, oh, you're trying to kill me for my own kids. And it's like, they should have done more with that character or had him survive or something. And go on to expose the CIA because to kill him kind of felt like it sort of cheapened what Bourne did in a way. 
His sacrifice? Yeah, and it was like, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm too, maybe I'm too cheesy myself. But anyways, one thing I had to think about is maybe if the CIA was less of a dick to its personnel, none of this would have happened. Like, why not have at least one other guy waiting to extract born from what he was doing you know or at least have a have a read on his situation so that you can come get his body if he ends up shot in the mediterranean but just to leave him literally floating out adrift uh they kind of set themselves up for this mess and then instead of trying to like get to him and be like born it's okay we're we're your people we're gonna help you we're gonna get you back and then you know what if you want to kill him fine do a villain move but like by being nice to him in the beginning, they could have gotten him back without much of a fuss, it feels. It, instead, they kind of just were like, well, let's send some people to kill him, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, it's a, it's the old vinegar honey thing, you know? And then, in fact, now in this scene, they try to kill him again. There, there's a huge shootout. that keeps working, yeah. Just keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though it's never going to work. Big shootout. Big shootout. If you were one of these henchmen, these CIA goons, wouldn't you be like, uh, oh, I got locked outside. I couldn't figure out how to get in. <laughs> that would be me. I'd be like in the car jamming to music, just not paying attention. I'd be like, I went out to get coffee for everyone and I came back. Everyone was dead. <laughs> I'd be getting the fuck out of there. So, and one fun, not fun, but kind of like gruesome, but crazy. At one point, <laughs> At one point, Jason Bourne knocks this big guy's dead body down all these flights of stairs. Like, they fall through. They fall, like, in the stairwell. <laughs> and he lands on the guy. Like, he knocks him down so he can cushion his fall. And it's like, what the fuck? It's crazy. <laughs> what Weren't these movies getting a lot of criticism at the time for being, like, too shaky cam? Was that the first one or the subsequent two that were directed by the other director? I don't know. I remember there was a lot of discussion about this, but I didn't really notice it in this film. I could be wrong. I'm thinking that was the follow-up, uh, the, the movie two and movie three, which were done by a, a different director. That's just something I associate with the Bourne movies. Not that I've seen any, but just that's something people mention where it's like shaking up and like it kind of irked some people and then other people liked it. How did this big shootout end? <sighs> well, Bourne bounces basically um some other assassin who's shown up kills the downtrodden cia boss on the orders of the gray-haired cia boss and then that guy testifies before congress being like treadstone oh that was just a fun party game we did for recruits (laughs) so he's still doing his bad stuff and um and born is is in the wind but we do find out where he goes next. Oh, and where is that, pray tell? Well, why don't you tell? He tracks down Marie, who has opened up a shop uh, renting scooters by the seashore in Greece. Uh, he shows up and he jokingly says he wants to rent uh, a scooter. She says, oh, do you have ID? <laughs> and then they reunite. That's the end of the picture. What did you think about it, Kevin? Uh, I thought it was an effective, well-executed action film. Yeah, I thought it was good. It did, was um you you mentioned that the director called out Casino Royale, 
Yeah, the director of this uh, movie uh, recently said he didn't know how to process the fact that in his mind, the tone of the uh, first Daniel Craig James Bond movie was, in his view, largely lifted from this movie, like a copy. I guess the first question is, do you feel that uh, that's true? I think maybe in the early 2000s, having quote-unquote like an adult spy film, you know, where things are realistic and we're getting to focus more on the characters and the emotions behind things may have felt, you know, like something that was new and fresh. I mean, I I don't know. You you could speak to that more than I could. But I, I, I think I can understand where he's coming from, even though I do think it's kind of a situation where it's like, it's sort of like maybe complaining that two movies are good. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you think? I'd have to watch Casino Royale again because it's been a while I've, since I've seen it. But to me, there were enough. To me, Casino Royale still felt like a, a Bond film, albeit a gritty Bond film. This felt like, you know, it, it didn't even feel that gritty. It was kind of hopeful. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, they seem different. They seem different, but I could I could see some things about like where it's like, oh, this feels kind of realistic, even if it's not. My question for you is like, were were spy movies so like just so cheesy or bad or over the top before this that the two of them would kind of stand out together as kind of whoa? Uh, were the Bond movies at that point were the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, which were very cartoonish and over the top? Yeah, I think the last Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, which was uh die another day had pierce brosnan surfing on a a a wave caused by like a nuclear weapon that was all cgi it was just ridiculous yeah it was pretty dumb yeah so this the stuff like this in casino royale was like a breath of fresh air (laughs) so what'd you think of the movie anya my uh five star final take is um thanks to a surprisingly humanistic fresh feeling take on the action thriller film uh, the Born Identity will leave many fans of the genre feeling born again. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage get gig speeds powered by fiber from cox it's internet built for tomorrow today cox always building better download speeds up to one gigabit per second cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms and other restrictions may apply